0: Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, The Chattering Teacup. Hello. And here with us again, a guest from across the bonds. action author, action thriller author, Avanti Sentry. Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion.
1: Hello and thank you so much for having me. I love your, your beautiful podcast. It's so much fun. Oh, thank you.
0: Thank you. That's quite a compliment.
1: Yes, the way you roll your R's to get it started just sets the stage for a good time.
0: (laughs) That's what she always says. I'm overly dramatic.
1: It's fun. Why not?
0: (laughs) Indeed, and we want to have fun. So let's dive into your only recently published book Cleopatra's Vendetta. It came out in November this year and it is a standalone. You have an ensemble cast of characters and I said so before I hit the record button, it's quite a scary book. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the plot? No, No spoilers, of course, but what can they expect when they buy your book?
1: Yeah, so they can expect a nail-biting, page-turning experience. Um, you know, that's, that's my first goal with any novel is to, is to entertain people. Um, the scary part I think you're alluding to is the fact that there's this, um, this ancient cult Mm-hmm. that wants to control the, the hearts and mind of the world, and they've been succeeding for thousands of years to influence public perception. The story starts on Cleopatra's last day. She's waiting for her spy to show up and hopefully give her some good news because uh, she and Mark Anthony have just suffered a horrid defeat to her mortal enemy, Octavian, who heads up this fiction cult that I have created and Mark Anthony has killed himself and she is about to do the same but her spy shows up and he has finally found the location of Octavian and his cult and it's an island but it's not where they thought it was and so she tells him to go hide the location of the island along with some other things that she has hidden for posterity Um, so she's hoping that she will get you know, her final revenge against Octavian by hiding the location of his stronghold. Um, So she kills herself. And thousands of years later, uh, we are in Italy with uh, Tim and Angie Stryker. And They're uh, a power couple. He heads up a special ops organization with the Futures Command, and she is a self-made CEO. She's um, doing biofuels and trying to help the world, uh, you know, with climate change. And on the surface, they're a happy family. They have a four-year-old daughter, but underneath, they've been uh, dealing with the grief of the loss of their their infant son. He was just a year old when he died, and. As many couples um, face, uh, they just don't know how to deal with the loss of their son. And so they've been fighting. And to uh, they recognize that they haven't been getting along. So they take a holiday to Bari, Italy to try to kiss and make up. And while they're there, Stryker gets called off on a mission, and he knows it must be important because his director wouldn't pull him off, you know, this holiday unless it was. But there's been a string of global assassinations. So we have a little bit of a Mission Impossible thing going on here where Stryker's trying to stop this. All these world leaders have been being assassinated, and nobody knows why. So he and his buddy Ray go off and try to stop the assassination of a Saudi prince. And they fail. That mm-hmm. happens in the first chapter. While he's gone, his wife Angie goes out with the girls. They go out to lunch and then uh, they decide to go get an icy cold beverage at the local Italian bar, and while they're there, um, a group of handsome strangers buy them a couple of drinks. Mistake, mm. because the bartender mm. puts some roofies in the drinks, and so Angie and their four-year-old daughter and two of her best friends get kidnapped. And so the story just starts from there. So Stryker needs to find out, you know, where have they gone? Who has kidnapped them, and why? And he shortly discovers that there's a link to Cleopatra, um, and he, you know, is completely mystified as to what this possible link might be what the kidnappers might have an interest in cleopatra well it turns out that uh, they're trying to find her treasure and Stryker has to find her treasure as well in order to figure out where angie's located and angie being a powerful ceo while she's being held captive is trying to figure out how to escape so that's kind of the story in a nutshell yeah
0: and we wanted to ask you about i said ensemble cast because there's more than one main character like you just mentioned in introducing us to the plot. We call it we usually call it a sober cast. Uh, you said TKP it's a sort of um, group of misfits. A little a little bit at least. I mean it's it's not what they you call would, themselves misfits. Yeah they call so, themselves m- misfits. I mean and it's also not what you would usually expect from such a group who work for the US government well, what, what we right. would not suspect.
1: That's right. Yeah. I had a lot of fun putting this uh, this cast of misfits together. You know, so often in fiction, you know, the, the heroes are, you know, perfectly baked, you know, they're all gorgeous and they have no warts whatsoever and they're brilliant and they can, you know, hit a speeding bullet, you know, at 30 <laughs> miles an hour with their eyes closed. And <laughs> and so I wanted um, a cast that was a little more realistic. And so you've got Stryker and he leads this team of misfits and he has OCD um, from a trauma that happened when he was young. His father was an alcoholic and came home one day and killed um, Stryker's mom and his sister. And he tried to kill Stryker. He just succeeded in knocking off one of his fingers. So Stryker uh, has this, you know, very deep traumatic wound from this experience. And he's, um, you know, he deals with anger and he uses meditation to try to keep, he's a, he's a, a redhead. Um, and you know, as um, redheads often are, he's he's prone to just blowing his top. So he really has to work, um, especially when his wife and baby daughter are kidnapped. Mm-hmm. He really has to control his emotions. So you've got his his journey, and then his um, best friend and partner Ray has PTSD, mm-hmm. and he deals with nightmares, and he has an enhanced sense of smell and hearing that. Would have normally kept him probably from you know this type of career, but after nine eleven, uh, in in my fictional world, um, their leadership realized that people could have gifts and not be perfect, right? Sam is Angie's sister, and she is the most charming woman you can possibly imagine. So they send her in kind of as a seductress, and uh, she loves that. You know, she absolutely gets off on being able to seduce men and women. Um, She can't commit to any sort of relationship to save her soul. She um, gambles and gambles a little bit too much. So she has her own warts and flaws as well, and they're um, one of their... Their co-workers uh, used to be a Navy fighter pilot, mm. and she lost the use mm. of her legs. And uh, their director um, is gay. Uh, she's gay before, um, in her mind, before it was hip. Before it was hip to be gay. So she's <laughs> learned, to, um, you know, kind of hide under the under the shadows. Yeah. She's a sort of Meryl Streep character uh-huh. um, who rips her glasses off, you know, <laughs> off her face at the slightest provocation. Um, so yeah. A, a quite interesting cast of, of misfits. They call themselves the M2 team because they are um, they recognize that they're, you know, works in progress.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the whole book, I wonder, what, I- what is it with these um, brotherhoods, ancient brotherhoods and conspiracy theories that fascinate us so much?
1: That's a great question. I think that many of us recognize that there are forces going on that, perhaps are beyond our visible purview. And I think that is part of what fascinates me about conspiracies and fascinates a lot of readers about conspiracies and ancient cults. You know, we, we know from uh, just from history that uh, there have been a number of, you know, real life mm-hmm. cults. And to this day, there are fascinating cults that uh, the news illuminates with various lawsuits and the like. I'm thinking of a recent example in Los Angeles, but I think that there's I don't know. As a, as a human being, um, I'm always fascinated with secrets and things that are are going on behind the curtain. And and I've been in in positions of leadership as well, and uh, in my um, prior career, and there's things that that in a position of leadership, you can't tell, right? Mm -hmm. So our political leaders um, for the safety of the country uh, can't always share everything that's going on. And I think that we, as humans, we want to know, you know, we're fascinated by secrets and, and what's really going on. And the one, there's a couple themes in this novel, and one of them is about propaganda. So Mm -hmm. the cult was a perfect antagonist for this idea of uh, bringing in the history of propaganda into the story and uh, talking about how um, propaganda, uh, one thing I didn't realize until I started researching the novel was that Cleopatra was primarily defeated because of the propaganda that uh, war that Octavian waged against her and Mark Anthony. He put up all these leaflets and uh, posters and the like to make her out to look like uh, a harlot. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, Queen of the Devil and and all of this. And so propaganda has been underway for thousands of years being used um, in military campaigns, even. And, you know, to to bring it back to your question, I think that, um, you know, it's it's. It's useful and enlightening to think about, you know, the different groups that mm-hmm. might be trying to influence our our thinking. So mm-hmm. this this cult was a, a perfect vehicle to to mm-hmm. do that.
2: Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, propaganda. Where do you think is the does like um, advertisement or public relation turn into propaganda? Mm-hmm. Where's the point?
1: Yeah, it's it's maybe a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm because one person's truth is another person's lies. And the way I see it is on this spectrum, you've got public relations and marketing, which, you know, I do and most small businesses do, but that's more awareness and mm-hmm. and sharing what you have as a product, right? You know, hey, I've got this this great book and these people have said all these really neat things about it. And if you're looking for this type of book, right, if you're seeking a Da Vinci Code meets Mission Impossible type of story or something along those lines, you know, click here and, and check it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing uh, deceitful about that. And uh, people can go and they can look and see the good reviews and the bad reviews. I think where it really becomes propagandized is where people are sharing things that they know are are outright lies. Right. And where they're uh, perhaps using um, deceitful ways of sharing that information. So, you know, one of the things that we've been seeing here in America, and perhaps you've been seeing it there in Vienna as well, is artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. um, uh, social media profiles who are sharing things about, you know, one side of the political spectrum or the other. And they're they're not even real people. Yeah. They're sharing things that are known to be false. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not factual at mm-hmm. all. And I think that's, you know, the far, far end of the of the spectrum. Um, so, you know, truth is a little bit of a, a liquid thing, right? Because mm-hmm. there's two sides to every yeah. coin. And you can say, you know, this coin is heads. Yeah. Well, that's partly true, you know. Because the coin also has tails as well. Mm. You know, the glass is half full and half empty. Mm. So I think it's up to each of us to figure out, because we all get a chance to decide whether we want to believe the glass is half full or empty, um, or just appreciate the glass. And Mm. so that's, you know, kind of what I'm trying to encourage people to do in this novel is to check their sources, think Mm -hmm. for themselves, and try to figure out where the information Mm -hmm. that they're getting falls on that spectrum you know is it an outright lie that somebody's Mm -hmm. telling trying to make me do something or is it uh you know uh, an innocent black friday sale that is you know making me aware that there's a pair of jeans that you know i might want to pick up while they're on sale so so that's my thought
2: you're also mentioning um deep fakes Mm. in your book so um how is um a regular person Mm. supposed to Decide what's true and what's not if there is so much technology behind it to make mm-hmm. it seem real. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this technology of, of deep fakes has really exploded in the last couple of years. And I think uh, one of the things that we saw on Twitter, at least before a few weeks ago, is that although there were deep fake videos. Uh, there were also people um, letting you know that this was a deepfake video. And the technology, um, I think, uh, up to now has been somewhat um, expensive. And there are, what's interesting is that the technology to identify the deepfakes is growing at the same level as the technology to create the deepfakes. So there's artificial intelligence now that can look at a video to look at it almost bit by bit, you know, Mm -hmm. to see if it's Mm -hmm. been digitally altered. Um, So I think that that's, you know, nice. Um, I think, you know, as individuals, I think that, you know, if we see our friend, someone we trust, post a video on Facebook of, you know, the meal they had last night, or, you know, they went somewhere. So I think we have to look at the the source of the video, Mm -hmm. you know, is it is it a trustworthy source? Is it um, is it a news outlet that is committed to journalistic principles? Is it or is it um, from news outlets that are known to be somewhat sensationalistic? So I think, you know, as individuals, we all have to look at the source of the information and we can also research, you know, um, not just take it at face value, Mm -hmm. but we can, you know, if it's something that's completely outlandish, then, you know, we can research and see, you know, okay, so is that, is the same story being picked up by major news Mm -hmm. outlets? Because Mm -hmm. that's what they're paid to do. You know, they're paid to verify this kind of information if it's something that's just, uh, you know, Elvis is walking among us, (laughs) right, Um, then, you know what, it's probably, even though I see that video of Elvis walking, it's probably not true, right? (laughs) So I think there's some simple things that we can all do to, you know, be judicious about what we decide to believe and what we decide is probably false propaganda.
2: Mm. Um, So there's still hope for us. Oh. There's hope. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I wanted to ask you
0: about the whole idea for the book, especially that the plot, like you mentioned, this cut thing that you invented. And when was the point when you thought, oh, I have an idea, or was it a certain event that triggered the
1: idea for this book? I had the idea of Tim and Angie first, hmm. and and they're, they're arguing and dealing with the loss of their son. Mm -hmm. And from there, the way that I write, and it might be different, you know, I saw that you have a novel might be different than the way that you write. But for me, it's a, it's a layering on process. I have, you know, some initial idea, you know, in this case, it was, oh, wow, that is some great conflict you know, a husband and a wife, you know, Uh losing their infant son, and then, you know, and then she gets kidnapped, and so then it was a layering on, you know, it's like, okay, so who kidnaps her? Is it just, you know, a a single person, you know, that kidnaps her, or is it a group? Oh, yeah, it could be, you know, (laughs) it could be a group. That would be kind of interesting, and then, you know, I layer that on with, all right, so who's the leader of the group? And, you know how sick and twisted can i make him and and what are what's their motivations and then you know and i also like to to think about that you know theme up front too you know the the theme of you know truth and and lies and you know, so then it was like, okay, so what's their motivation? All right. So they could, you know, they could be spreading this worldwide propaganda. And then somewhere along the way, I think the the idea that I had that um, was really kind of the one that made the story was because I had, had intended it to be just sort of a, a present day, you know, kind of a typical thriller, you know, more mm-hmm. mission impossible mm-hmm. kind of thing. But then I got kind of bored with it, you know, <laughs> I was like, this is like every other book out there. This is just kind of boring. And I was like, all right, I need, I need a historical figure here to, to really make this more interesting. And then I hit upon the idea of using Cleopatra and it just kind of all tied together. And I had the idea and then I went and researched her, Mm. you know, because just because I have the idea doesn't mean she's going (laughs) to fit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so I bought a couple of biographies, and the more I researched, the more I was like, oh, this is perfect. And then it just kind of dovetailed. And next thing you know, I had the whole outline and was you know pounding out the story. Oh. Um, so for me it, it builds mm-hmm. and I take and I have some ideas along the way that that don't work. Mm-hmm. The first draft of this story um, had as one of the antagonists, um, a young man that was born as an intersex character. Mm-hmm. And his family had chosen him to be male mm-hmm. because they aren't very fond of women. Um, but he inside was really more of a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this didn't land well with my beta readers. I have uh, equally as many men as women readers, and the male readers just cringed and clutched their privates every time <laughs> you know they were giving me feedback. Um, and, uh, and I also didn't want the story to be just about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's an important topic and was interested in in researching, um, how many people there are in the world that are born with both sets of genitalia. So it was a fascinating topic mm-hmm. to research and it would have fit in with the story, but it, it had the wrong emotional reaction. So yeah. that was mm-hmm. one of the, the ideas that, um, that I had, that I had to, had mm-hmm. to throw out.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think you might come back to that idea at, at one point in another book,
1: maybe? Uh, perhaps. It's, uh, I think it's a, an interesting topic, but uh, you never know.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how long did it take you to get a good idea of Cleopatra, her time, and her struggle against Octavian, and the whole Egypt versus Rome angle?
1: Um. You know, it took a while. I think I read um, one or two biographies. And it's tempting when I'm researching a novel to deep dive into that. And there are just volumes written about Cleopatra and Rome and what was going on at the time. And But the story is mostly in, in present tense. Mm. And so I, I really had to I had to pull myself back from spending too much time um in in that world even though I was just oh wow and then they did this and who knows what they what else they did and and they're actually think they might have found her tomb and that's fascinating yeah. as well. And so I don't know. I maybe spent um you know two or three weeks mm-hmm. digging into mm-hmm. Cleopatra. But then I had to pull myself out and say, All right, <laughs> we're you know there's there's a lot more to do here you know to get to the the finished in product you know so it's it's a trick to to research and include just enough to to make the story and the reader feel mm. like they're immersed but yep. to not put so much there you know it's it's not a story set in Egypt it's yep. a it's a modern day story with links to ancient egypt mm.
0: Mm-hmm. And you you take us to quite a lot of different places. Did you visit all those different places? Because you said we start in Egypt, we went to Italy, we went to India, we went to Greece. Saudi Arabia? Yeah, Saudi Arabia. Sorry, forgot that as well.
1: You know, I've been to many of them. Uh, when I got <laughs> to um, visit uh, your hometown of uh, Vienna, I um, had the experience of being able to travel all over Europe. And, uh, but no, I haven't made it to all of them, but I feel like I've, I've traveled enough to know the types of things that make a place unique. Mm -hmm. So Saudi Arabia, for instance, I I have not visited there, Mm -hmm. but, um, was able to do enough research Mm -hmm. that, um, the people, my readers that have been there say it, it feels like I got it right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, I, I appreciate that. And I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to do all of the traveling that I have, Mm -hmm. because I think it really adds a a layer of authenticity Mm -hmm. and being able to, to know the types of things to, to research, you know, about a place, you know, kind of like things like, what does the air feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, or what are the, what are the smells or what's the unique, um, what's the unique food and, uh, what's, and I also, um, when I meet people um, it's kind of fun to see if they've traveled to any of these places. So I was at a party once when I was working on the doomsday medallion and I met somebody who had recently been to Turkey Mm -hmm. and I had um, a couple of scenes set in Turkey. And I said, well, Tell me some things that's you know different about uh, Turkey from your travels. And they said, well, you know, they serve olives with breakfast, and that was kind of interesting. And they said, oh, and all these guys go there for um, plastic surgery. All these balding men go there for hair transplants. And I said, you're <laughs> kidding. And they said, no, it's this, it's this weird phenomenon that all these men from Europe go to Turkey for hair transplants. So I put that little tidbit in there yeah. in, in that chapter. And uh, I recently saw um, a story the other day on social media about all these men going to (laughs) Turkey for hair transplants. (laughs) And I've had people call that out. You know, how did you know that? (laughs) Well, you know, I just paid attention and met somebody that happened to be there. You know, so if you, if, you know, there's other aspiring authors out there that can interview somebody who has been or recently been, if you can't go yourself, I think that's another way of being able to pull in some of those, realistic tidbits, yeah. but again, you can't go too deep, right? You know, because you got to keep the story moving, yeah. the action flowing. Yeah. But if you can add in a couple of those details, then it just really feels like you're there.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's always um, a question of how much put, to put in there and how much to leave out, isn't it? It is. Uh, I wanted to ask you how organized, I, I mean, you just said there was a lot of research, you came across a lot of interesting points and information. And how organized are you in your writing or in your planning?
1: Sometimes a little too much. I think, (laughs) you know, there's people that are pantsers and there's Mm. people that are plotters. And I'm definitely a plotter Mm. Uh, with all of my stories. I I definitely like to have an outline. And that's because in in life as well as in writing, I find that if you start with the end in mind, you're a lot more likely to get to the end (laughs) instead of getting sidetracked along the way. I mean, it's fun to be sidetracked. It's just like you know, if you're planning a trip to Australia, if you don't keep in mind that you're going to Australia, you could end up in New Zealand, which would be great fun. <laughs> um, but if you're really wanting to see Ayers Rock in in Australia, you have to keep that in mind. So subplots are fun, um, but I like uh, you know throwing in the the red herrings and the twists. And you know, Solstice to Shadows, one of my Van Ops novels, has just this. Amazing twist that if I hadn't known what that twist was going to be at the the end of the novel, I couldn't have laid all of this groundwork along the way. Mm. So I, I definitely have pretty extensive outlines to where um, when I sit down to write a chapter, really what I'm adding is details about that particular place and the dialogue. But I know the main conflict for that chapter. You know, I know the outcome of that chapter. I, I've already got my uh, my characters um, and their personalities identified. So, so I, I plan and organize quite a bit ahead of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the book
2: seems quite organized too because there are, let's say, quite short chapters and we with each chapter we jump from one scene to another uh, place and yep. it makes it very fast paced because of that and you mm-hmm. always want to read on mm-hmm. and it, it's like in, in, in films, you jump from one scene to the next and back again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, when I'm writing it's almost like I'm seeing the movie, you uh, know, yeah. unfold. Yeah, yeah. I
2: know and, what you mean? Uh,
1: You know, when I have my outline done, I'm I'm seeing it play out like like a movie um, in my head. And yeah, there's a lot of people that just write in one character's point of view, and and that works as well for so many books. But for me, I like the added tension mm-hmm. that I can bring to the story by having, for instance, the bad guy's perspective, or even um, like Tim and Angie. You know he's trying to find her and she's you know stuck in this cell and the the tension that that you have from being able to go back and forth between their varying points of view because she knows things that he doesn't and he knows things that she doesn't and so as a as a reader you're you're knowing it all and you're just like oh i can't wait for her to figure this out or oh When's he gonna get that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I find that uh, you can really ratchet up the tension and, and make it more of a page turner yeah. by yeah. having multiple points of view. And yes, you have to have a lot of that planned out ahead of time. But I find that I also need to be open to ideas as they come while I'm mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. And and that's uh, you know that's a trick too. It's like um, oh you know here I am pounding away and oh gosh I you know didn't know that about my character <laughs> you know or whatever. And as long as it fits in with their overall personality um it's it's a lot of fun that discovery process as Uh you're writing Uh yeah so that that's where the the fun comes into that and i just really like the putting the the twists and the puzzle parts together and having it all kind of come together at the end that to me is just so much fun
0: yeah and was there ever a point either in this book or in the others when your character was looking over your shoulder and said, mm, "Come on, what are you doing to me? Not that."
1: <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I, my my characters don't get quite that personified. Okay, you know, I know many authors have that experience yeah. where they feel like their character is sitting on their shoulder. My mine don't um, don't talk to me in quite the same way. Yeah, they um, they 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 definitely. Um, you know, it's, it's more like my muse or my subconscious definitely comes up with some ideas. And, uh, you know, some of the characters, you know, I've written three books in the Van Op series and um, Maddie, Will and Bear are, are pretty real to me now. But mm-hmm. uh, they're um, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're talking over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. So you're still the, boss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, still the boss.
0: You said there are a lot of themes and topics in your book in this one, I suppose, in the others as well. Is there anything as a writer you would never touch upon aside from killing dogs, of course, which is a no, no,
1: no, 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 no. Don't, don't like killing any of the pets. And uh, you know, I, I don't like, you know, killing children either. Mm. You know, in some of my books, uh, children definitely are in danger, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I think there's a, a good versus evil thing going on in my books. I've, I've, covered some pretty touchy topics you know sex trafficking Mm -hmm. is a topic in this book yeah you know there's some you know my books aren't uh like erotic so some Mm -hmm. of all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um you know i i don't really fit and uh if there's any kind of you know torture sort of stuff Mm -hmm. it's it's off screen mm-hmm, you know yeah, where it's mm-hmm, it's yeah. happened but you know we're dealing more with like the aftermath mm-hmm, yeah. so in this novel for instance one of our characters is actually whipped by yep. you know the commandant the head of the yep. cult but we don't see it happen and we're definitely not in her perspective yep. when it happens so i think uh you know i'm i'm game for kind of whatever the story uh, requires, yeah. but I'm also sensitive to, you know, I'm I'm not doing violence just for the sake of yeah. violence. And as a matter of fact, my first three novels, Maddie, Maddie Marshall, she's into nonviolence. She's mm-hmm. an Aikido mm-hmm. expert with some special martial mm-hmm. arts abilities. And you know, everybody around her is, you know, much more shoot 'em up, bang, bang. And she's like, you know, why can't we all get along? Can't we bring this to a peaceful resolution? You know, Aikido yeah. yeah. is all about using their energy against themselves to bring back a peaceful resolution. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so I think um, sex trafficking, for instance, is an important topic. It, yep. That was another one that was um, kind of gut-wrenching to research. But I'm, uh, you know, uh, like we said in the beginning, uh, my aim is for my books. To be entertaining,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so um, you know if I can raise a little bit of awareness about mm-hmm. sex trafficking and uh, you know encourage people to be safe while they're traveling yep. and some of that, uh, but they're they're meant to be fun. Yeah. Um, so I think to answer your question, anything that's um, you know uh, doesn't serve a purpose for the theme or the yep. story or isn't fun yep. would not be something that would would be in my story. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of uh, spy
2: technology in the mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. and I wanna. To- how we do both these... wonder, actually don't we yeah. how do these microphones work uh, the ones the ones in the in, in, in the, moment, the also teeth. in on this <laughs> sub vocal microphone I mean if do they
1: whisper or because if they speak I guess they would be heard yeah. by someone yeah've I've never actually used one but my understanding is that they're um, so for those who haven't read the book what we're talking about is um, they're called molar microphones. Mm. This is real technology that our military uses, okay. um, and my understanding is that they take a cast of the teeth, uh-huh. so that the microphone fits like on top of the teeth. Uh-huh. So it's almost like you're wearing um, braces or like a night guard or something. Uh-huh. So you've got okay. this thing over a couple of your molars, and then it it uses bone conducting technology to transmit the sound as well as. You know, you're, it's almost like you're hearing in your ear, mm-hmm. um, is my understanding. And it's, they say it's, it's a, a sub vocalization. So mm-hmm. it's like, I think, less than a whisper. Uh-huh. um okay. to to speak into it so i think it would probably be something that um you know if if you were going to say something and you were reading a newspaper you might you know uh you know bring the newspaper kind of up close to your face or you know you could um you know act like you're taking a drink and you know sub vocalize or you know whisper into mm-hmm. your microphone mm-hmm. but it's fascinating technology absolutely yeah.
0: Yeah. and also the silicon masks because i was uh they were there every time and they got new ones.-huh
1: mm-hmm. is, cool. this, is, is this real? I mean real stuff? It is. Yeah, okay. they they definitely have um silicone masks and okay. you know we've been seeing them in the Mission Impossible movies yeah. for yeah. a couple of Mission yeah. Impossible movies right where you know one of the heroes or one of the bad guys rips the silicone yeah. mask off. But uh yes, they are very real and they take a mold of the face and they uh they come down to chest level, mm-hmm. right? Or lower. So, okay. you know, a guy who is changing his hair color from dark to blonde, could have like blonde chest hair in his, you know, silicone mask type thing. And uh, yeah, they can, you know, fit right over the head and mold to the features and they can, you know, change the features slightly, you know, as well. And with all of the surveillance that's going on these days, people are Mm -hmm. absolutely wearing them. And um, Mm -hmm. especially in our our covert, you know, government agencies, I think they've been perfecting and wearing yeah. them for some time. Yeah. You know, you can even get one, you know, on the internet just as a regular citizen. You can get them now. Um, okay. But, yeah.
2: But I guess the structure, the bone structure of the head would have to be similar.
1: That's where you use the mold, mm. right? So I think that they, you know, have a way to take a mold of your, of your head mm. and then, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm sure that the more expensive versions, you know, have a a way to map your your head. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Maybe they even use lasers, you know, to to map your your head and face, mm-hmm. so that you change your your hair color and you know your you know make your nose a little longer, your cheekbones mm-hmm. a little wider, or mm-hmm. your face a little, you know, your chin a little more pointed, or you know all of those things to to hide in plain sight. Okay. So you can never
2: be sure whom you're talking to.
0: No. It's me just saying, you know, <laughs> no worries.
1: <laughs> Never
2: commission.
0: <become
2: assured>. Yeah. <laughs> Try to rip it off. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's not working. <laughs> it's really me.
0: May I ask you about the mindset of your characters? What I mean is I read on your website that your father was a Marine mm-hmm. and that he also worked in different kind of missions mm, similar to theirs. How did it help you uh, To get the mindset of these characters right.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So my dad was in military intelligence, but he never talked about it. So I was, and he passed away a number of years ago. So I've been somewhat limited in being able to pick his brain, but, uh, Here's a funny little thing about me that I don't talk about much is I have dreams all the time that I'm in some sort of action oriented situation where I'm being shot at or someone's trying to stab me or I'm having to disarm someone or my gun's not working or and I'm this you know, peace loving, meditating, Zen kind of person, and I have all of these dreams. And usually, I'm kicking ass um, in in these dreams. So usually, the bad guys aren't getting the best of me. But I've done research as well uh, because dreams only go so far, right? So I've read, um, you know, a number of memoirs, and you know, and have immersed myself mm-hmm. in the, in the genre as well, right? So. Uh, I think, um, between my own internal experiences and I have interviewed some, you know, people who have been in the military as well. Um, so, you know, my, the feedback that I've gotten is that, uh, it seems like I'm, I'm hitting the nail Mm -hmm. on the proverbial Mm -hmm. head there and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, many military men and women appreciate Mm -hmm. my novels. So Mm -hmm. again, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm not Writing novels that um, are, you know, fully military, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in their nature. Mine are more character-driven, where the protagonist or one of the other protagonists, you know, this is is their their career, but they're real people mm-hmm. with real mm-hmm. issues, and they're not obsessed with the style of gun that they have, you know, unless they're a bad guy petting their sniper rifle or something. But, you know, again, it's about the the level of detail for this type of of book and uh-huh. it's not uh, it's not the the hardcore military espionage uh-huh. um it's it's not fully true to life um <laughs> you know i think that um in in reality you know so and from my understanding, in, in real life, you've got um, you've got officers who are what we would think of as, you know, sort of secret agents, CIA mm-hmm. agents who are trying to turn people for information. Mm-hmm. And then you've got covert ops mm-hmm. warriors who are more the guys who go in in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. do the assassinations. And mine are kind of a merging of the two. Mm-hmm. Right. Where it's Mm -hmm. kind of almost like uh, historians or uh, computer geeks Mm -hmm. with with Mm -hmm. guns Mm -hmm. um, who are more out trying to gather information or, you know, save the wife kind of thing rather than um, just the covert warriors. There's some. Um, of my author friends who do that you know subgenre really yeah. really well but that's but there's that subgenre usually doesn't have a whole lot of character growth mm-hmm. and so if um, the reader is really into all of the military technology and the military strategy, you know that's a little bit further on that spectrum mm-hmm. you know mine is much lighter on. Mm-hmm the military technology and much stronger on character growth. And I do that because I feel like for me as a reader, I get a lot more emotional uh, reaction and investment in characters Mm -hmm. that I know. And on some of those, you know, super military novels, I can't even keep all their names straight, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: So... And
2: if you don't have more specialized knowledge as a reader, you can't follow all the yep. weapons and military equipment anyway. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, psychology also plays an important part in this book because your characters have to get into the mind or in the mindset of not just their opponents, but also... I mean, Sam has to get into the mind of Cleopatra to find the clues or, or find the way to Angie.
1: Yeah.
0: So how yeah, important? I've, I mean, it is important, and, and it is
1: important. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's, psychology has always been a fascination for me. I, I love it. Um. So it's it's a lot of fun to bring that into the book and. And um, yeah, so Sam, who is part of Stryker's team and Angie's sister, is just as desperate as Stryker yeah. to get her baby sister back. And she's you know got this idea that uh, you know Cleopatra may have you know hidden this gold journal somewhere. They've they're pretty much on this wild goose chase yeah. to try to find a journal. And so Sam is reading everything that she can get her hands on to try to get yeah. in Cleopatra's head. Yeah. And the things that she learned help her solve the puzzle. And the bad guys have been trying to find uh, the same stuff and for thousands of years, but they have underestimated Cleopatra and they've never tried to get in Cleopatra's head. Yep. So they didn't know what to look for. Yep. Um, so absolutely, psychology <laughs> yeah. is, is essential. And, and the the character arcs of both Stryker and angie you know are they gonna get back together they were talking the divorce word came up in in the fight that they had the night before all of this happens so they have to um, do some soul searching uh in order to figure out you know can this marriage be saved should the marriage be saved do we want the marriage to be saved Mm. so you've got that dramatic question going on at the same time so yeah, it's a it's a rich, richly yeah. textured story yeah. with a lot going on. Exactly, yeah.
0: it, they learn a lot about themselves, don't they? Striker do. as well as Angie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about life under the paw. Of course, since we saw your your mug <laughs> with your tea, how how important is it living under the paw for an author? Living under what? Under the paw of your under the paw of your dog. <laughs> because we oh my, we oh are God. living because we are certainly living under the poor, so
1: our c e o you know. <laughs> Yes. I saw that on your webpage. Um, you know, the living under the paw of my dog. So I have two dogs. Huh. Um, and, uh, one of them is much more demanding and surprisingly it's not the alpha dog, the, the alpha dog, uh, she just sits, um, and guards the house and wants to be fed and her belly petted. But the other dog, beta dog is a, is a German shepherd who I think this is her very first lifetime as, uh, a dog because she's scared of everything. Um, we're fortunate enough to have an acre and these big birds, these vultures fly over and she looks up and she thinks they're going to, you know, swoop down and carry her away. So she barks at them, but she is obsessed with her ball. Mm. And so, any moment when I'm not writing um, or marketing, I uh, am theoretically supposed to be making the ball move. That is uh, my <laughs> that is my job <laughs> is making the ball move and. Fortunately, while I'm outside walking with her or making the ball move, sometimes I get some really good ideas for some of my books. Oh. So I keep my phone with me and as we're out playing with the ball, sometimes, you know, the subconscious mm-hmm. gets a chance yeah. to work out those thorny problems yeah. about, you know, because when you're outlining or even, you know, telling the story, sometimes I get to, you know, oh, this conflict here isn't quite what I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be when I was doing the outline or, you know, whatever issue yep. I might come up with and and out Playing with yeah. the dog helps me work yeah. through that. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm under her paw, but uh, I I use it to to serve my needs. Yeah.
2: essential work. Yes, she's yes. doing. And, it.
1: and for those who who aren't seeing, um, my coffee, my tea mug says "dog mom," and it has a number of dog biscuits on yeah. it. so yeah, that's what we were referring <laughs> yeah. to is under the paw.
0: Does will it remain a standalone, or have you also plans of writing further books with those characters?
1: That is it remains to be seen. Uh-huh. Um, once I finished it, I was I've been trying to think about how to carry it on, and so far that germ of an idea that I can build on has not, you know, there's certainly kind of obvious ways that I could make it happen. Um, you know, some of the ways that people usually carry on like a movie franchise or a book franchise where, you know, the, anyway, um, <laughs> you know, it's a, Some of the things that happen at the end, maybe, uh, you know, are revealed to be different than what we thought or whatever. But I haven't found this book is so special and so perfect. You know, the level of conflict between the main characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I'm having a hard time thinking about how to replicate that, because once you've used that device you know, with the, with the two main characters, it's, it's, I'm having a hard time finding something equally as full of conflict. And Cleopatra is also, um, an apex character, so I'm also having a hard time thinking of you know something that could be better. But I, I haven't given up on the idea of circling back. So I'm just kind of letting my subconscious work on that. And in the meantime, I had some other idea about a heist novel of all oh. things that mm-hmm. um, that purely came up from my subconscious. And I fought it and fought it and fought it. I was like, <laughs> I don't write heist novels. I don't read Heist novels. I don't and and yet I had this idea that just would not let go. So I'm about halfway through that book. I've taken a little bit of a break while, hmm. you know, doing all of the marketing for mm-hmm. Cleopatra. But that one I may just need to finish just because it it just it was so funny. I fought it and fought it and fought it. And <laughs> one day I sat down and I was like, all right fine let's just see where this goes and i outlined the whole bloody thing in six hours okay now we've talked earlier about how it normally takes me like two months three months six months to Mm -hmm. outline a story this whole thing just went it was almost (laughs) like you know i vomited up this 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 outline of this book and i thought huh well maybe i should write it so i've got it about halfway written and it's it's a story of forgiveness is what it mm-hmm. is. It's two men who just absolutely hate each other mm-hmm. and they get thrown together during a prison escape. Mm. And so it's, it's about, you know, will they kill each other? Will they forgive each oh. other? How's that going to go?
2: Hmm. Um, so Sounds yeah. absolutely intriguing. It's another standalone too
1: probably or we'll see i <laughs> i don't have an idea if there's a way that i could carry that one on but uh, i don't know mm. mm-hmm. we'll see one mm. step at a time
0: and since you are writing and writing and writing what would be your advice then for all the aspiring authors out there
1: Mm, So a couple of bits of advice. One is that you one of the things that has worked best for me is to hire or have my publisher have developmental editors, mm-hmm. because I have a hard time, you know, knowing what I don't know. And it's helpful to have someone in your corner who can put all of the pieces together so the editor that i'm working with right now i'll finish the story but i'll still have these kind of lingering like it's 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 my subconscious like knowing that there's a couple of issues with the story but i can't quite put my finger on it Mm -hmm. or i would fix it right Mm -hmm. and so having an excellent developmental editor in your corner can come in and say hey you you know, this doesn't really land for me. Mm-hmm. And you might consider this or this or this. And it's like, oh, that's what mm-hmm. I was trying to come up with, mm-hmm. but I yep. just couldn't. So having that and some excellent beta readers who mm-hmm. can give you a variety of Feedbacks, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's sensitivity readers. If you're writing, you know, outside of your own identity, mm-hmm. um, but just having a variety of perspectives before you put it out there, you know, before publish it, I think that's one thing. Um, and then just be prepared to spend some money on marketing and public relations because even if you're with a well-known publisher, the level of marketing and PR that you're going to get is far less than what you want. So Just put together a budget, save your pennies, you know, work your day job, um, don't quit your day job (laughs) and, you know, save your pennies so that you can uh, launch it into the world um, and let people know that it's out there so Mm -hmm. they can find it. Mm -hmm. And what other
0: future plans are? there for you or which you can share with our audience what can we look forward to this just not just a heist book but what else is there to come
1: well i've got some (laughs) ideas for um a fourth van ops novel that i'm kind of Uh Yeah, mulling around. There's three novels in, in that series so far and uh, readers are, are really enjoying that series. So I've got some ideas for that one. That that I might turn to that after I finish the Heist novel.
0: Ah, okay. And are there ever any ideas? I'm just asking you because we are we've been talking about it uh, before we came onto the show. Yeah. Um Going more comedy like with your yeah. thrillers, maybe because we were talking about you might know uh, the books by Mick Herron, his yeah. Slough House series. Yeah. Uh, they turned. They turned. I think the first book into a was it Netflix or something in a six six part uh, TV mm. show, and mm-hmm. it's they are really. What we
2: yeah, there was call, a group of misfits.
0: Uh, they are really, really, really misfits, to say the least. Oh. And it's a more a mm, you know approach which is not too serious, but it turns out they know their stuff.
1: Yeah, <laughs> is it uh, satire or just lighthearted? A mm, little bit, just I yeah.
0: I mean, the, the main character, as it turns out, he isn't bad at his job. He just doesn't give a shit oh. <laughs> anymore because something oh. happened in the past and since then he he just uh, makes sure he spends his time, his days in the office and just puts everything in writing and just file it and that's it. No action, please, because then yeah. you have to get out of the office and so on. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> That sounds fun. Um, we'll see. I've I've thought about uh, writing satire. My my marketing brain wants to keep me on brand, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because um, you know I've spent years building a readership for yeah. this type of story, um, and that's. Part of why I fought the heist thing so mm-hmm. hard was it's it's not typical for, you know, what I'm doing or, yeah. or for my for my readers. So I'm sure I will find another set of readers who who like that. But uh, we'll see. You know, never say <laughs> never say never. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do certainly have some there's a little bit more lightheartedness in the van ops novels than there is and this novel um Cleopatra's vendetta is is a little more serious mm-hmm. um Sam I think adds some levity and I really enjoyed uh you know how snarky Angie got sometimes <laughs> um so that was that was fun but uh yeah the the van ops novels uh, you know it's about um a brother and sister who are twins and uh and her boyfriend you know they they got pulled into the covert ops world kind of unexpectedly they it was not part of not part of the plan. So the first book, The Lost uh, Power, is an origin story for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that set of novels, um, I think you guys would enjoy. It's it's definitely more lighthearted, but we'll see. I enjoy a, a good a good satire now and again. Um, <laughs> so, so maybe who, who knows? knows? <laughs> exactly. Who knows what the muse will bring? <laughs> exactly. And is there
0: anything else you would like our listeners to know? Anything else you would like to share?
1: Like to share that if they're curious at all about my work, they can download the first six chapters mm-hmm. of *The Lost Power* for mm-hmm. free in exchange for their email, which I promise to only send them really fun things um, <laughs> and not very often. Uh, so they can go over to vanops.net if mm-hmm. they and there's some very fun trailers about mm-hmm. Cleopatra's Vendetta that they can see at vanops.net and uh, that redirects over to my avanticentray.com website. But as we know, my name is a little bit harder to remember than just vanops which is <laughs> <laughs> net, so they can head over there watch some trailers uh, download the first six chapters and, and see if my work might might resonate with them so that's kind of what I'd like to, to mm-hmm. leave them with is just thanks for thanks for listening and getting mm-hmm. to know me a little bit better mm-hmm. and head over there and yep. see if they might like my work they
0: should definitely yep. because we enjoyed reading your book and thank lo- you. we're looking forward to more yep, yep definitely don't we okay so Avanti, thank you for joining us. Thank you for okay. making time for us. It was great talking to you. Thank you. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did. Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary
1: links in the description. Until next time.